Welcome to the Blue Bloods Podcast. A college game time production. Quarterback draw. He's got a running room. And a first down. Watch out. He's got getaway speed. Touchdown. That game on last night had me sweating. I couldn't believe it. It was college game time. A couple of Blue Bloods out competing. College game day Saturdays. Big time players making plays. All I really need is another weekend full of back to back games. Just me and my friends, man. I love college. College football. I love March Madness. Man, I love college. Yes, sir. Welcome to another episode of the Blue Bloods podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, go ahead and hit subscribe right now. If you're listening on Spotify or Apple podcast, you do want to follow, rate, five-star review, all that good stuff. Because this episode, we have a very special guest, former Texas A&M fighting Aggie, former two-time back-to-back Super Bowl champion. It's our boy, Bethel Johnson. Bethel, what's good, man? What's up, man, man? What's happening, man? You got it. <laughs> hey, we appreciate doing? you being here, man. We're good. We we're we're good. We're good. Listen, man. I um, I am so excited to have you here as a as a pseudo Patriot fan. I am excited <laughs> to have you here. Now, I'm only a Patriot fan for one reason, because my boy Tom Brady, because he went to Michigan. That's that's the only reason. But yeah, well. I'm happy to have you here. <laughs> Well, shoot, Bethel was there before Tom's seen as like the goat. Now Bethel was there when it was a little bit kind of early on in that in that yeah in that time era. frame. It's it's funny because we interviewed another Patriot who played later, like played and I think he was there 16. for yeah sixteen seventeen. And yep. so when we kind of start talking about some of that stuff, I'm curious how the answers compare. But um, oh, they're gonna be different. I can tell you that for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh, Bethel, give us some background. Tell us who you tell us who you are. You know, how where'd you come up? Where'd you play your high school ball? Anything like that? And man, I'm originally from Fort Worth, Texas. Um, Funky town. Yeah, in a, in a place called Stop Six. That's where I grew up. Oh yeah. Originally, if you know anything about that, then you know. Yep. You know, it's yep. <laughs> oh yeah. Very rough beginnings, uh, but I wouldn't trade that for anything because the mindset that I developed there. Is what carried me when I left. When we moved to Corsicana, when I was about eight years old, um, the mindset I had in Stop Six is what I still live with today. It, it was developed there. So I moved from there to Corsicana, um, went to Corsicana High School, graduated from there, went on to Texas A&M University, and then the rest is history from there. So at Corsicana, y'all played in a state championship game. Was that like your junior, senior year when playing ball? That was my senior year. Okay. And then who do you remember who was that against? Because I feel like y'all played against a team that was loaded with some D1 talent. Like, they was your squad D1 the same? Talent. No, no, I ain't going to let you slide that one in. <laughs> they weren't loaded. <laughs> yeah, come on, talk to me then. Let me know. <laughs> <laughs> they weren't loaded with D1 talent. Um, it's just that they won the state championship. So they got D1 offers from that, right? So had we won the state championship that year, the guys that were on my team that wasn't really – it was only two of us that was highly recruited um, okay, okay. on I, on my team. And that was me and one of the offensive linemen who was my best friend, Billy Yates, who's actually a coach mm-hmm. with the Patriots right now. Um, okay, so we were the only two – Yeah, we were the only two 
that were highly recruited on that team. But had we won the state championship, then it would have been other guys just by way of that would have gotten offers mm-hmm. from that. And that's what happened with Texas City. They had – I don't think any of the guys maybe uh, – they did go to Texas and you never heard of them again. Put it like that. That's right. true. So they Fair enough. Athletes. Right. right. Yeah. Right. But, Bethel, to be fair, there's a lot of athletes that go to Texas and you never hear from them again. So, I mean, <laughs> if, if we're just going to call it like it is. I mean, right. I, 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 you know what I'm saying? I, like, mean, I, people, man, to, I chose Texas A&M simply because I knew that that would be a place that I can make an impact immediately, um, mm-hmm. not having to sit and wait behind anybody or anything like that. I had an opportunity to go anywhere in the country. But mm-hmm. I was smart about, like, okay, is it the big name I'm going for or who am I doing this for? Because at the end of the day, I knew exactly where I wanted to go uh, take my career. And right. I wanted to be in the best position to do so. So I didn't want to go to somewhere like Florida State where they had Peter Ward, Snoop Menace, and those guys and have to mm-hmm. wait until like I'm a junior for you to right. see me. Even though I knew I was better than Snoop, it's just that I'm going to have to sit behind him. And I didn't want right. to do that. So I went to a place where, you know, I can make an impact immediately. So who were some of the other schools you were considering, yeah, or maybe what, not considering, but that were coming after you? What was like your top five? Oh, uh, man, you name them. I mean, <laughs> I got recruited by everybody in the country, man. Like, I really did. Um, so A&M was not even at the top of my list mm-hmm. at all, uh, to be honest with you. I chose them simply because they were honest in how they were recruiting me. Everybody else tried mm-hmm. to recruit me a little dirty. Um, and I, I just had the foresight to say that, well, this is eventually going to crumble and I don't want to be a part of it. And I don't want to be obligated to anyone if I decide differently. So I chose mm-hmm. to go somewhere where I didn't have to contend with, with any obligation to a school because I chose to take something from them. So and it wasn't even nowhere on my radar at that point in time. Um, there was, uh, of course, Florida State, Miami. Um, they were my top and then Texas was at the top because, you know, uh, John McAvick was a, was the coach at the mm. time and they had everybody, they had, you know, James Brown, the quarterback, Brown. Ricky Williams, the running back, you know, Kwame Coville, like all those guys. And I just really wanted to be a part of that. Um, that, 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 uh, them, there was, um, I was at LSU and I mean, Texas A&M came in at the very bottom of that. Um, but they wasn't nowhere high on my list until I took my recruiting trip there. And I was like, this is where I'm going. Mm. What sealed the deal on the recruiting trip? Man. I mean, I'm there. They treated me like what I was worth. <laughs> That's what it was. <laughs> I, mean, I come in, you know, you, you wanted the, the, the highest, you know, they didn't have rankings like they have now, I guess like right, the, right. whatever was five star, whatever, but I was one of the top five players in the nation. Um, in my position, so um, they treated me as such. So when I got there yeah. on my recruiting trip, man, they flew me in on a private jet. Uh, even though it's like a forty-five minute flight, right? <laughs> <laughs> they, they flew me in on a private jet, put me in a presidential suite at the Hilton by myself, and all the other recruits had to just, you know, deal with that. And I just felt like, yeah, yeah they want me more. So that's why I went there. 
That's awesome. So there wasn't any like under the table NIL stuff coming your way from A&M because, you know, they're in the headlines right now with like this $30 million budget and Jimbo's up there screaming, ah, that's that ain't true. So I'm just curious. I mean, if we're going to talk about it. Let's talk about it. Well, no, no, they didn't do anything like that. They just recruited me better. Got you. I gotcha. would say that. And they were honest about um, what I would, you know, what kind of impact I would have, you know, given the fact that I was a receiver going to a running school. And that was my question. Like, why would I come here and y'all are running school? And the offensive coordinator at the time, Steve Craigthorpe, told me, said, listen, I promise you, if you come to our school, we'll change our system for you. Mm. And so, as you can see, by the time I left Texas and we were the passing school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he's at LSU now or no? The uh, He was. He was. He was. Okay. Yeah. Um, now, the year, your first year in College Station, was that 98 or 99? 98. So I was in so Ellsworth as a freshman. My freshman year, I was in Ellsworth. But still, that uh, was the Sugar Bowl year, correct? Yeah, I missed all of that. I was oh, there, but I missed all of the perks and stuff that came along you. with it. Yeah. Were you, but you were still like on the team or, or, or nothing at all? No, I was on the team. I was just a Prop yeah. 48. Um, I got you. So for me, sitting out that year, it, it just really just, you know, I was already had, I already had a chip on my shoulder anyway. Um, yeah. But that just really just mm-hmm. built it more. So I had a chance to go from a, you know, I had to put on my college armor, I would say, as far as my body goes. So I had a chance mm-hmm. that freshman year to go against people like Datwin and, you know, yeah. the Jason Webster's mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Um, you know, being on the scout team, get to go against these guys every day. Um, so by the time it was my turn to go, I was ready for it. You were ready. Yeah. And some other names people may may recall, I think, was that Dante Hall, Sir Parker, those, those yeah. dudes as well? I mean, obviously, they were on the offensive side of the ball, so you weren't going against them. But I want to throw another name at, at you because I think he was a senior, so I don't know if y'all would have had any kind of connection that year. But was Dan Campbell, was he still there? Yeah. He was a senior when I came in. Yeah. Now, so, how is he? Because I'm a Lions I, fan. How, how is Dan? Was he is Dan, like that in the locker room? Was he like room? that back then? Yeah. Um, I mean, he was intense because he was a senior. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, you have a different level of intensity when you're a senior, and you know this is your last go-round. So, you know, I mean, you always saw coaching in him, but, mm. you know, mm. that, that was that. But he, he was always intense like that um, as a senior. I've only known him from his senior year. Right. Got you. Okay, so I want to kind of back up a little bit with uh, – a little statistic. We like to ask everybody this question. Um, there's a stat that says only 2% of high school athletes go on to play at the Division One level. 2%. Obviously, your percentage is even smaller because you went on to play at the next level beyond that. But just talking kind of growing up, middle school, high school, between then and getting to A&M, being that D1 player, like, did you have a moment on the field, off the field, where you knew, okay, I'm that dude, I'm in that 2%. Well, I just knew I was different from day one, like mm. even as a kid, right? I didn't, I didn't get introduced to football until I was nine years old. I've never even seen football until I was nine years old, right? Wow. I grew up in Stop Six, and I grew up with all sisters. So I'm number four of five of my mom's children. So, But I knew around five years old that I was different, not just because I'm a male, but, but I was right, different right. talent-wise as, than everybody around me. Because anything that I saw at that age from like five and up, I could just do it. 
And I didn't know exactly what I was going to do, um, mm -hmm. but I just knew that it was going to be something. Uh, either I'm going to be racing. I knew at that time, because I'll give you a quick story, see how, and it's going to sound like it's crazy, but it's not. This is my honest life. And I'll never forget this a day, uh, a, a day but you know, I'll never forget this as long as I live. And so I was chosen at five. And I tell people all this, this all the time. I was chosen at five, right? I'm walking home from school. And at this time, I'm walking perpendicular to my apartment complex. And I'm coming down the street. And it was just like I was getting some type of download from the universe. And someone's like, look up. And so I'm looking up. And it's just like, you don't have to accept any of this, right? You are the one that's going to change this for your family. It told me that. I knew that since I was five years old. I didn't know how. Wow. Um, I didn't know what I was going to do, but I just knew that I was the one uh, in my family. And then, yeah. you know, that year, um, uh, the Summer Olympics came out, right? I was watching the 84 Olympics on the couch with my mother, and it was the gymnastic portion of it. And I told my mom, I said, I could do that, right? Mm. She kind of brushed me off, like, yeah, whatever, whatever. And so I started going out. I went outside and started doing this, trying to just trying stuff in the yard, man. And kept going and going, and, and I finally started getting it. By the next day, I was putting together the combinations that I saw on television, right? And from that point, I was teaching everybody, all the kids around the project, how to do that. <laughs> you know, I, yeah, and I don't yeah. know if you know what hood trampolines are. Hood trampolines I are do. old, dirty box springs and kissing <laughs> mats. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, right. Thanks, so everybody thanks. was, you know. I was teaching everybody the things that I was doing, man, but I was always fast, right? I, I yeah. was fast from day one. So I knew I was either going to be racing people or I was going to be doing backflips. And it wasn't until I moved across Canada, I was eight. I met my cousins that summer when I was when I was nine. I met my cousins and they was playing this weird game. And I was like, man, what are y'all doing? I said, what, is, what are y'all playing? They said, man, this is football. What do, you, what do you mean? You don't know what this is? Like, I've never seen this sport. Like ever, you know, and I was like, can I play? And they said, yeah. And mind you, my cousins was 12 and 13. So I'm on, I'm the young mm -hmm. man. I was out there. I was instantly great at the game. I, I was doing stuff I ain't never seen. I just, it was just in me. Yeah. And I was doing mm -hmm. good men. They was playing a game called tag in the street, mm -hmm. tackling the grass. So if you yep. run in that street, you get tagged. <laughs> but if you step in that grass, you get to get blasted. You get hit, yeah. right. So yeah. <laughs> You know, I could, you know, I'm from a violent neighborhood. So violence is something that I was familiar with, but now I can unleash this stuff and not get in trouble for it. So I fell in love with the sport right there. And then I asked my cousin, I said, bro, I said, cuz, how, 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 how can I go in this? He said, the NFL. I said, then that's where I'm going. So I knew at nine years old that I was going to do this. Okay. So let me ask you this. So you, you felt you were chosen at five. At nine, you you caught the vision essentially as it pertained to football. Mm -hmm. Obviously, we all go through adversity along the way, right? Mm -hmm. And I think there's two different types of adversity. There's that internal adversity that makes you doubt. So, okay, I've been chosen at five. I got this vision at nine. And there's a type of adversity that can make me doubt what I know is mine or what I know is for me. And then there's also the uncontrollable external adversity that could legitimately be like a barricade trying to keep me from what's mine. Can you talk about either of those types of adversities that you experienced essentially from nine to the league where maybe there was self-doubt or maybe for you it wasn't so much self-doubt. It was just uncontrollable circumstances that were trying to keep you from getting to where you knew you were headed and kind of how you process those, th 
those those moments of adversity? Um, I never had anything happen where I doubted it. I just never doubted that I wasn't going to make it. It didn't matter what people told me. Like, I'm not a type of person. I put it like this. I believe in myself more than anything else. To this very day, I'm the same way. Um, so yeah. it's like, it, it wasn't matter. It didn't matter what someone tried to project onto me. I just wasn't, you know, I didn't accept any of it. I just knew that I was going to do this. It didn't matter who said I wasn't because I just was different. I was different with it. So I knew I was going to make it regardless. I mean, I had instances that confirmed it for me. So for instance, the people don't know, I was shot at the age of 14, right? Wow. Um, got shot right in the neck, right here, and shot in my side. So I was literally a millimeter away from being paralyzed. That just, for me, confirmed that, yeah, I'm meant to make it. I didn't take it as, man, this is that. No, I'm meant to make it. Because I survived this, this is what I'm meant to do. I'm meant to make it. So I didn't have those type of things that happened where I, I, I never doubted that I was, was going to make it. I never doubted it. So did you ever run into anything that maybe wasn't internal, but external that tried to stop you? Obviously you just shared one, like getting shot, (laughs) but was there any other moments, maybe not even that severe that you encountered along the way? I had, I I looked at all those, anything like that. I looked at those things as confirmation, right. Mm. Of what, what I'm going to accomplish because not only that, I mean, um, say my senior year, so I had two senior years to take the hand up, right? Okay. So my senior year in, 2000, in uh, 2001, um, I, got in, I got injured, right? So I got injured in the game, in the first game of the season, uh, where I had to have my screen removed, right? Ooh. So I lost that whole year. And, you know, they, you know, I didn't have a red shirt. They medically red shirted me because my freshman year I was ineligible, so I didn't have right. that year. So they gave me a medical red shirt my senior year. After I had that surgery, I done bulked back up nine, you know, nine months later, right before uh, uh, two days, I ended up having to have blockage removed out of my intestines from the surgery I had prior to. Wow. And in that moment, uh, the doctor told me prior to going into surgery, he said, listen, um, now if we have to cut you down your stomach again, then we'll have to see you on Sunday. Right? If we can get it microscopically, then um, you'll have a career this year, right? And so I went into surgery not knowing what the outcome is going to be. Mm-hmm. So when I woke up, you know, and I felt that they, I felt my stomach, they didn't cut me down my stomach, they went microscopically, I was like, I knew, I'm, yes, I'm going, I just, good, right? I know I'm going to make it. And I just took off that year. Yeah, you did. I mean, yeah, I think you had that's a big year. <laughs> like, yeah, because we we're just looking at the stats. You're actually, I don't know if you know this, you're still in the top ten. What is it? Uh, in receiving touchdowns in a season. Oh, see, I didn't know that. <laughs> Dude, let me ask you this: Do you ever look at today's game and think, "Dang, dang, if yeah, that I was, was my playing next right question. now, <laughs> I'd be lighting I these jokers up, man!" Like, do you ever I think do. that? I do. Um, because I mean, we 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 was at a run dominant school, yeah, right? right? So if you look at the stats from my senior year, it was four of us: me, Terrence Murphy, Jamal Taylor, and Greg Porter. Who mm. I think Terrence Murphy had like six hundred ninety nine yards receiving. Mm. All the rest of us had over seven hundred yards receiving that year. So the ball was being spread out. It wasn't just one receiver that we was throwing the ball to. We had four guys right. that we was getting the ball to that year, 
And I just so happened to do a lot with it when I got the ball in my hand. Right. And that's right. the thing. It's, it wasn't just a run-dominant school. It was a run-dominant era for football. Yeah. And you'd have like your Texas Techs or you'd have like these little, what at the time were sort of the anomalies who threw all the time where now that's like the norm. And right. so I just, and then how you play, like like you said, you'd catch it and do something with it. I want to get to it in a minute because your 40 time at, uh, uh, going into the draft. But like, you, like, I'm just thinking in today's game, there's no telling what those numbers would be. So oh, no, I would be, man, if I was in offense now, <laughs> listen, man, listen, it, it would be ridiculous. I put it like this. My senior year in high school, I missed the first four games of the season. Really? My first four games of the season. I dislocated my elbow on the open kickoff Ooh. for the first game of the season. And I missed four games. And I came back, and I don't know how they reported, but they reported it wrong. I had almost 1,500 yards receiving in that year. Wow. You know, so we had that two running backs had one of them had 1,500 yards rushing, one had 1,600 yards rushing that same year. So you couldn't say, well, we go stop the pass. Well, then we just run it. Right, right, <laughs> you know? right. So it just was a pick your poison with us. So if I hadn't missed those first four games, I'd have put it out of the, I'd have put high school stats out of the way, I blew them all the way out that year. So I'm curious now, just getting back to your time in College Station, is there any like, specific moment or like memorable moment it could be on field it could be off the field it could be locker room whatever that when you think about your time playing at texas a&m like that's the first thing that comes to mind um it would have to be the, the year i came back from injury um mm-hmm. um and we played uh i played virginia tech my senior year mm-hmm. and we lost mm-hmm. to those guys so my, at, at this time mark ferris was our quarterback and we was heading down the same path that we have been since he's been our quarterback. And okay. uh, which wasn't good because Dino Babers was the was the offensive coordinator and he was just stubborn. Oh, wow. This offense that really wasn't working. Right? He hadn't quite learned the veer and shoot yet with Bryles. Is that what you're telling us? <laughs> no. He wasn't running that? <laughs> no. So, so we played Texas Tech. And this is why I have so much respect, you know, for R.C. Slocum and what he had did that year in Coach Sumlin. And so, you know, that year, you know, you get everybody talking, well, Bethel, he's not going to start. Like, it was just so much stuff in the papers that people had no idea yeah. of what, you know, two a day looked like, none of this stuff. So there's a lot of this stuff going on. Right. You know, I, I continue to ignore the noise. So we played Texas, we played Virginia Tech, right? And you'll see the stats change after this. We played Virginia Tech, and I had zero receptions that game. Hmm. Zero. Hmm. And we lost the game, I think, about three points or whatever. So after that game, Coach Slocum called a team meeting. This is why I have respect for this man. He called a team meeting. The very first thing out of his mouth was, guys, there is no way that we're ever going to play a football game without getting the ball in the best in our best offensive player hand. It's not going to do that. He said, so with that being said, there have been some changes. Coach Sumlin is now the offensive coordinator and wide receiver coach. Coach Baber is just now – Dolphins, he's just strictly uh, quarterbacks coach. And uh, Dustin Long will now be our starting quarterback. And if you see from that game forward, I started averaging two touchdowns by two touchdowns a game. Mm. That changed everything for me right there. That changed everything. After that meeting, he came to me. He said, Belton. And this is what made me run through a wall for this man. This man said, Belton. He said, listen, you're our guy. You're our guy. 
whether you accept it or not, we're going to win through you and we're going to lose through you. That's how we're going to do this. And I said, I'm, I'm with it. Let's go. Right. Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, obviously he went on to become a very successful, Great not coach. just coordinator, but head coach. Yeah. So, um, okay, so that was that was your final season in College Station. Went mm-hmm. off. Now, obviously, getting the attention from the NFL scouts and things of that nature. I do want to kind of transition here, getting into NFL draft day. But before we do that, like, talk about the prep into that because you made waves with your 40 time, if I recall correctly. Unfortunately, it's not like today where if you run a 40 time like that, you go viral and you get right. a bunch right. of free <laughs> stuff and all that. But I mean, what was kind of your mindset at that point in time? You just played your last college game. It's time to get focused on the draft. Tell us about that. Well, hey, hey, can we pause that? Because actually, yeah. I want to ask you this, Bethel. Like at this point, like you know you're good. How are you navigating that space as a college athlete knowing that you have the the pros are coming up. Is that something that was tough to navigate in that season? Or was it like, I have a job to complete. I'm going to finish this and I'll worry about that later. Or were you already, because we hear about it now, like guys already have agents. They're already talking midway through the season, knowing they're going to the league. Like what was that process even leading up to the draft process like for you? Um, my goal that year was just to focus on the season. I didn't care about, you know, I, I knew if I play well, that everything else would take care of itself. I never focused on, anything past what I was in at that particular time. Um, because my mom put something in me a long time ago when I didn't want to move back to Corsicana. Um, she said, son, if they if you can play, they'll find you, mm-hmm. right? So I was worried about like going back to a small town, not being recruited. She said, son, if you can play, they'll find you. She said, mm-hmm. cream of the crop always rises to the top. So if you can do it, it doesn't matter where you are. So for mm-hmm. me, it's like, okay, that year, we had the most talented offensive team that the school at that point had in its history. And my focus was finish this out, finish the task at hand. Everything else to take care of itself. So I never got a got beyond the season that I was in. And then, well, and, you know, obviously the relevant piece to that now is you've got a lot of like player opt outs come bowl season, you know, like, what do you think about that type of stuff? Would you have ever hey, done something like that? I did. I didn't go to the uh, I didn't go to the All Star game, senior, senior game. I didn't do it. Oh, the Senior Bowl. Yeah, is that? Yeah, I didn't go. What, what made you? What made you decide not to do that? Um, because I was done giving free games. Mm. Giving them free games. Facts. So, <laughs> Mic drop. Shoot, we can yeah. cut it off right now. <laughs> I, did I did the same thing out of high school. Once I got done with high school, they had this game called the California Texas game, the All Star mm-hmm. game. And I turned it down because I was like, I'm done with high school ball. I'm on to the next thing. So I left and went to college. And so mm. I, I wasn't giving them anything else from high school. And then the same thing when it came to this, I think I got invited to either the, it was in the, the East West Shrine. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. The Blue Gray, one of them. Yeah. And yep. I just turned it down. I said, I'm going to focus on the next level and not give them any more free games out of me. That just wasn't going to happen. Okay, so now that your focus is there, talk about what was that preparation and then just the experience of, you know, your pro day and all that. Like, what was the mindset? What were you thinking? What Like, what were those – like, were you meeting with teams? Just kind of take us through that process. Man, believe it or not, man, I wasn't even high on a lot of people's radar. <laughs> mm. um, you know, I looked at something Mel Kuyper wrote uh, about mm. me. 
Uh, he was just like, you know, Belton Johnson may not get drafted. He won't get drafted. If he does, he'll really? be free agent or, you know, that was his that was his thing. Seven round of free agency is what he said about me. And so I was like, okay. You know, I've, I've been in these places before, so none of these things bother me. So I said, okay. Yeah. I just added to me, like, okay, I'm going to show you too. So, um, because he wasn't understanding the whole dynamics. The school I went to was a running school, and uh, we had four guys who was getting the ball, right? And, you know, thank goodness the Patriots didn't listen to them, so it was fine. Yeah. Uh, but uh, going into those, into like, getting ready for the combine and stuff like that. I actually ran a slow time at the combine, uh, to be honest. Did you? Yeah, I ran, man, I ran a 4.35 or some trash like that. It was slow. That um, was slow, like, man. Like, I don't, the fact that, that you're calling that, that slow is really say, bothering me. That's a sound bite right there. Man, I ran a trash 40 time, 4.35, something like that. Like. Yeah, it was trash, man. It wasn't But me. it wasn't. I, it's, it was still one of the fastest, though. But it was slow to me because I, I, I hadn't ran a 4.3. Um, I mean, I came in as a freshman, ran a four three one, mm. and that's no training or nothing. It's just I can right. line up and go. Mm, and so right. once I started training, I never saw a four three after that again. So it was mm. like when I ran a four three, I was disappointed in my time, but I I was waterlogged. So no one knows all this. I was waterlogged. But I was trying to be heavy, you know, <laughs> trying to pull right. off, be heavy. Uh, so I ran that forty like two ten. Uh, wow. But it was waterlogged, and I ran it, um, and that was slow. So then, my when I came back, and this is why I had, I had some of the best strength coaches from college and the pros. Uh, when I got back, and I walked in the door to uh, when, when I came back to the field, the, the weight room, and Coach Clark, Mike Clark, was my strength coach. He said, "Belton," he said, "Listen, they were all excited about your forty at the combine." He said, "But I told them that you're faster than that." Mm. He knows I've been running four tools <laughs> since I was a freshman. So right, like, right. you know, that's he's faster than that. No one believed him. He said, "If you want to go, if you want to get drafted high, you got to lose ten pounds." I lost twelve and mm. went ran the forty. Uh, my first forty was like a four one eight. Where was this? Like a pro day or something? Pro day. Pro day. That was our mm. pro day. So I had to make up for the trash I put out at the combine. Yeah, that slow was molasses four three, man. Right. Yeah, you yeah. I mean, had to you had to fix that. Yeah, and and, I, and what's crazy, I wasn't the fastest guy on my team. There was another guy that was a, a hair faster than me, named the Dwayne Jones. No, in on, in college. Oh, A and M. Dwayne Jones was a hair faster than me from my freshman year. Every year we was right by each other. So he would run my freshman year when I came in. I ran a four three one. He ran a four three zero. Then I went to a four two eight. He went four two seven, then it's four two five, four two six. So I left running the four two six, and he ran four two five. So he ran the four two that day, but I ran the four one. So, hmm. Hmm. so did you get any kind of meetings with teams prior to the draft, or were you just too far under the radar at that point? I didn't get any any of it. Like, and I was fine with it, um, yeah. to be honest with you, uh, because I wanted to really focus on, you know, doing what was necessary to get their attention when I have it, to keep it. Right. You know? So mm-hmm. I knew once they showed up to Pro Day, I was going to dominate that, and they'll, they'll be talking to me then. Right. Okay, so then what what was your mindset on draft day? Because that's something now that's totally out of your control. You've put out there all you can do to that mm-hmm. point. What was your expectation? And I think then, too, 
being a second round pick, that was still day one, correct? Yeah. I mean, that's a, at that point in time, I know they've shifted it now, but that's a day one pick. And so what was your mindset going into that day? Knowing like, okay, it's out of my control now. Um, I actually wanted to be in Atlanta. So I knew that um, after I had did what I did in my, at the, in my pro day, I was higher on everybody radar then at that point in time. Mm-hmm. That's gotcha. when I started getting interviews and, you know, stuff like that. And so I knew that I was going to be late first, early second. So I kind of had those expectations at that point. And Atlanta happened to be a pick ahead, a few picks ahead of New England. So I knew I was going to be in that area. But New England traded up to 45, which put me at the early second round and took me at that spot. But I knew that I was going to fall into that, that place. Were you were you trying to go play with Vic? I was trying to go play for George Stewart, the the wide receiver uh, coach. Um, Got gotcha. you. And because he he was the one that believed in me more than anybody, um, mm. and I and that's the same thing that I have with Coach Sumner. And I was like, man, I want to have that same thing in the NFL. So unfortunately, when I got to New England, I didn't have that. But <laughs> so, <laughs> well, let's talk about that. <laughs> Starting with who called you? Like yeah. who did you get the call from? Bill. Uh, Scott Pioli. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. That's okay. right. Mm-hmm. That's right. We're we're back in that era. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're back. So Listen, was that I, the only? I had the young Tom Brady, not this guy out there. <laughs> right, the right, young right. Tom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right, right. I had to think about that. The young Tom Brady. <laughs> <laughs> so when you see that New England number or, or whatever, like when you answer, like what, what? Talk about that. Like you're about to be picked. Like what's going through? You, you, honestly, I wasn't happy. I was about to say, you kind of seemed yeah, like you were pissed right. off. And I'm so <laughs> happy. Uh, you know, I was, you know, my family was more happy than I was. My mom, she can see kind of like I was disappointed because mm-hmm. even when I flew in to visit New England, I'm from Texas. I'm not used to snow like in April or some crap like that. Or, you know, it was late, like right. January, February, whatever. It's like, ah, there's not snow right. where I'm from right now. <laughs> so right, I didn't right. want to be anywhere like that. And, um, you know, that's where I ended up. But it wasn't that. It was the it wasn't that it was the Patriots. It's just that I didn't want to be anywhere cold anyway. Right. Got you. So let's talk about, you know, this is the early phases of what's now become this renowned the Patriot way. Mm-hmm. I mean, the really the dynasty hadn't even been it hadn't it wasn't even considered a dynasty it. yet. Yeah, like you were actually yeah. a part of cementing that. So that first year going in. Was the Patriot Way still a thing? Like, what was that whole experience like? How, how did just talk us from you, you get the call, you're drafted to I'm in this organization full time? Oh, man, that was an adjustment period uh, for me, honestly. Um, going through, coming from Texas, from the system that I come from, uh, the type of coaches I had in college to now going into an organization where it's all of, the Patriot way was being developed mm-hmm. uh, more so during that time, because keep in mind, they only won one Super Bowl prior to. Uh, right. So right. it was yeah. being developed. We understood, you know, the makeup uh, of what was going on. So it was kind of an adjustment period for me um, going into that. So um, I think I think for my very first practice there, it's kind of was like, OK, 
I couldn't really, I couldn't really wrap my head around what was going on because I was so like, I don't want to be here. That was my, right. <laughs> that wow. was really what it was for me. Like, I don't, I don't want to be here. And it wasn't the organization. I just didn't like my coach, my receiver coach. Mm. You know, God. his name is Brian Dayball. I didn't like him. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah, I know what that is. Yeah, the, uh, what is he? The head coach of the Bills now? Or something? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I didn't like him because he had no idea uh, of how to play wide receiver, and it just. He was a yes guy. He didn't have no common sense of his own. And anything common sense, um, he just would say it is what it is. And I always hated that. Uh, he was cool off the field, but he didn't know who he was. So when he gets to the field, when he gets to the stadium, he tries to be Bill. He tries to be Charlie Weiss. And that didn't work for me. Oh. Wait, so you're telling me that Dayball wasn't out there running routes and showing you how to no, he come had out no of your breaks? <laughs> he had no idea. He had no idea what he was doing. Um, at that time, he just happened to be lucky that he had older guys who already was there, like Troy Brown, mm-hmm. um, David Battens. Mm-hmm. So he, yeah. he he was lucky to fall into a good group of guys who were already professional. Now, how how was that like being a rookie coming into a room like that? Because I'm a big Troy Brown fan, love that yeah. David Patton. What kind of what was that experience? Did you have one of the older guys that kind of took you under the wing, or was it kind of like a man, you got to figure this out yourself kind of moment? No, I, I had a good group of veterans. I did. Everybody was about – that's the thing I say about the Patriots. They were about the team. So I say the Patriot way ultimately is about the greater good of the team. Um, so there was no – I didn't get hazed or anything like that because I had just a good group of guys, man. Uh, you know, rest in peace, my boy David Patton. He's just really a good dude. Yeah. And, you know, he kind of took me under his wing a little bit. Um, you know, I was kind of – outspoken uh, about certain things and <laughs> really you know, he kind of took, <laughs> took me on his wing a little bit and for me you know um they were never they, they never saw me as my comp you could replace me they never looked at me like mm. that it was just like hey wow you're a part of this thing that we have going on hey do your job and that's really what it was about right. now, now i also want to ask this because there's this viral clip of this um kid just got Gary Wilson got drafted out of Ohio State and he's talking about you know I'm so pumped for the rookie dinner and he finds out what really happens at the rookie dinner yeah how was your rookie dinner because that and the reason why I'm asked because there's this running joke that Tom Brady shows up buys the most expensive bottle of wine takes a sip and then leaves so what was your like rookie dinner experience like see I didn't have it I didn't go to wow. it wow I didn't go to it but my other you know teammate uh Ty Warren who was the higher draft choice of the Patriots that yep. year. Um, yep. He had he went. So they did it by your draft status. Ty was the number 13 pick overall that year with the Patriots. Uh, then you had uh, Eugene Wilson, who was okay. like in front of me at like 36 or something. Then I was 45. So then you had, it, it broke down like that about how much you have to contribute to the, to the dinner. Ty Warren had to pay the most. And I didn't pay, but probably like $5,000. Mm. Well, getting back to Brady. So it's the different perspective because, like I said, we talked to Vince Valentine, who played with him in his later years. But mm. this was back when, like you said, they'd won that first Super Bowl. But a lot of people don't remember. They were the underdog. And that yep. people were kind of seeing like, okay, like, was that just a fluke? Because the Patriots yep. were actually coming off a season where they didn't even make the playoffs when they drafted you. So you're mm-hmm. coming into an organization, like you said, that this identity is still being developed. 
Brady's not like, oh, the GOAT. Oh, is, it's right. like, okay, is this guy really this supposed to be the starter? Or So how was he? Because you and him actually seemed, from a fan's perspective, and just to plug it, that's our for the fans, by the fans. But from a fan's right. perspective, it seemed like, even though y'all didn't play together for just like a decade long, y'all seem to always have really good chemistry. And so, mm, I mean, I would don't you know. disagree? Okay, let's um, talk about it. So my rookie year, me and Tom were cool. My rookie year, after that, we were not cool anymore. Hmm. So my rookie year, it was just a lot of, like I said, it's the development. You know, they kind of had the Patriot way in the, in the, in place, but it wasn't as developed as it is you see now. And so um, it was a lot of that going on. Tom was establishing himself as the guy you know, of the team during mm-hmm. that time. So my rookie year, this is why I didn't get along with Dayball. Just want y'all to understand this before we get into Tom. <laughs> yeah. I didn't get along with Dayball is because he knew I was a better player than the guy he would put out there before me, right? Not taking away from anybody else, anything like that. Right. But he's one of those guys that was like, well, I'm going to be super safe and go with this guy because he's a veteran over this guy who I know can, you know, that he can do his thing or whatever. So what they did to me my rookie year was made me a, a, um they drafted me as a wide receiver. So if you know at Texas A and M, I wasn't really a returner. Mm-hmm. Dante Hall was our returner. Right, right. So even with punt return, I only did it my senior year because I feel like no one else could do it better than me. So I'm gonna go and do it for our team. Right. Uh, that's why I did it. So then I get drafted. I'm a wide receiver that can return. I'm not a returner that plays wide receiver. Right. Right. So that's they put me at returner. That year, and mind you, that year, this is why I had an issue with the whole organization, right? Um, that year, it was about humbling me. For some reason, it was like, we got to humble this kid. And I'm not one of those kids that was just like braggadocious, nothing like that. None of that. It's just that I spoke my mind on things that I didn't agree with. And that's just mm-hmm. period. And so that year, they made me the kickoff returner, Right? They waited till I think the fifth game of the season to really make me the feature. And I still was a pro bowler that year. Right. Mm. Dante Hall was the, 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 um, he was the choice. I was the alternate that year. But you know, when I found out that I was a pro bowl alternate, the Super Bowl. Mm. Mind you, they've already gave out these names and stuff like this. Belichick called everybody name and, you know, everybody got, you know, whatever, whatever. But when it, he ne- he left me off of it. So oh, me yeah. and David Gibbons, if you ever can get a hold of David Gibbons, we are standing on the sideline at the Super Bowl, and they're showing the Pro Bowl, uh, like the teams, and the, the highlights of the players who made the Pro Bowl. Mine show up. He said, man, you made the Pro Bowl? I said, I guess so. <laughs> I had no idea. So it, it was wow. all of that. That's why I had a problem for years as organization, because they for some reason they chose me to be the one that they do all these things to even and not understanding that, man, if y'all just let me do what I do, you know, I, let me do what got me drafted and we'll be fine. Mm-hmm. And they didn't want right. to do that. They wanted to control all of that. That's the Patriot way is to control those outcomes. Well, you did make Tom look pretty good though. And, um, the times <laughs> that y'all were on the field together, I, I will say that. <laughs> yes. That's the thing. Like we have, we, we had, because the way I play, I play with the mentality is it don't matter if I'm a starter or I'm coming off the bench. I have one mm-hmm. opportunity. So I got to mm-hmm. take advantage of it no matter what. 
And that's how I play the, the position. It's I got one opportunity to do it. So I'm going to sell wow. out every time. Well, and I, I bet a lot of people don't even realize this because this is often like an overlooked part of the game, getting back to your returning in, in special teams. But like those Super Bowls, like you averaged like – your your return average in those Super Bowl games specifically was pretty high, pretty if I remember correctly. Yeah. And yeah. um I I mean We always played was, on the short field. <laughs> that yeah, the exactly. Exactly. Which which in turn obviously helps the offense, helps the quarterback that is yeah. So well then let me I'm just gonna ask you, is Tom Brady the GOAT or is he a product of his environment? Um when he left, I mean, he's a goat of this era. You know, yeah. uh, like what, what say, era though? Because I mean, he he kind of he's played like two decades. <laughs> you know, what I mean? yeah. So I'm saying, like in this era that he's been in, yes, okay. he's been the best. You know, in in this era, right? And I think in the beginning, it was more of a combination of him and Belichick in the beginning. But as he became the guy and he became who he is now, I think it's more on him than he's proved that when he went to Tampa Bay and took him to the Super Bowl that he yeah. is that guy. I can't say he's the goat in this era, um, but that's just this 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 era because you can't you can't say he was the goat in the first ten years of his career. Mm, you wasn't right. saying that. Yeah, I mean, it even was though he was in the Super Bowl, you wasn't saying that. Right. It wasn't until later people started recognizing, oh yeah, this guy is the goat. You know, so you know that makes sense. Let me ask you this, Bethel: Has your experience in football, because some some athletes go back to this, has it made you? Do you not pay attention to the game as much anymore after you've had the experience? You've spent time in the league. Has it turned you away? Or are you still like heavily involved in what's kind of going on in the football world? Be honest with you, man. I don't, <laughs> I don't pay attention to it as much. Um, it's like the, the game is so watered down now to me. Uh, it's like, you know, you and the old guy shaking your fist on the porch, right? Man, in my day, you know, right. there was no such thing as an unprotected uh, defensive receiver. Like there was no such right. thing as that. Right. So now it's like, man, if I played in this in this era, <laughs> that's why I like Tyreek Hill. Like he's a a shorter, you know, he's yeah. more shifty, but with the speed of what it, just being in a system like that. Oh my god! Right. Oh yeah. Man, there's nothing or, like man. Or the dude at the uh, Rams that just got like he was an MVP, uh, Cooper Cup. He's the same kind of kind of shifty, smaller receiver. He's not as fast as Cooper. Uh, not small. What's his? What's his? Miss, hey, Mister, I don't follow football. What's his size then? <laughs> he's about six one, six two. He's not a small. Oh, I thought he was like. Receiver. I thought he I'm about was to pull up Cooper Cup. No, yeah, he, bro, he's six two, two oh eight. Oh yeah, he ain't yeah, he's not, two, 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 <laughs> he's not a small guy. Hey, six two two ten. Sorry, we're all about accountability <laughs> here on the. Uh, you know, I'm thinking more. You're, you're thinking more Julian Edelman, man. I am probably. I don't know how big <laughs> is he is. He massive too. I don't know. No, no he's small, man. He's like five eight. Yeah, so this is what people understand. Dion Branch was that guy first. Yeah, right. That is true. I'll Wait, give you that. Super Bowl MVP Dion Branch. I mean, yeah, I, I remember yes. him. He should have been an MVP two Super Bowls in a row. So if you go back to that one we beat Carolina, he had the same stats as he had in the second Super Bowl. Ah. Tom won it that year. My my rookie year, Tom won it. Yeah. That is true. Dion should have won it that year. Right? Same thing. He he had the same stats the next year. 
one more reception, same amount of yards, and he won Super Bowl MVP. Deion Branch was that guy before Wes Welker, all of that. He was it's because of Deion Branch, Wes Welker, Julian Edelman, all those guys exist. Man, yeah. Think about it. Who was doing that before? I saw. I'm. I know. So I'm sitting here. I'm trying to think. Like, I'm trying to go back in the. Yeah, no one always was doing a very that A prototypical receiver is what it yeah. was up to that point. Yeah. What about Deion Branch? Wow. He was Super Bowl MVP, man. He was. Yeah. Oh, I, knew, I remember that. He lit it up. I forgot oh. how good he was, though. Yeah. Okay, so we got two Super Bowls. Do you have? I mean, I don't want to just. It's it's coming across so much that you just like. You know, obviously. You had your things that you butted heads with, with the Patriots and the organization, but just as a player playing in the Super Bowl, I mean, was that not some sort of like, okay, like, like a, 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 the ultimate validating moment of going back to when you were five and you knew you were chosen to now I've reached the highest of the high of the high. I'm a Super Bowl champion. Like, was there anything that came along with that? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> No, <laughs> no extra perks, nothing, <laughs> nothing. Uh, I mean, I got the key to my city in Corsicana. It doesn't open okay. anything, so yeah, right. <laughs> it's, just, it's just symbolic, you know. So, I mean, that's about it. Uh, but nothing else. I mean, you got a ring. I mean, yeah. I'd rather, you know what's crazy? I'd rather have my state championship ring over my Super Bowl ring. Really? Hmm. Why is that? Yeah, because the state of Texas football is a big thing. If you're the state champion of this, then that tells you, you you're the king at least that year. So right. I'd rather have that over the Super Bowls. Over Do both you feel Super like Bowls? Over both of them because that was football. I, it was still pure. Mm-hmm. You, you just It's just pure. Super Bowls, can't, it's, you, you earned that in a business. High school is just yeah. pure football. Mm. Let me ask you this then. Do you... After hearing you feel like, you know, you're like you knew you were chosen at five. Do you feel like um, and I'm trying to frame this the right way. Um, do you feel like football was part of it or was the chosen to be what you were chosen for was something different? That football wasn't really what was supposed to fulfill what you thought you were supposed to accomplish. I don't know if I'm kind no. of making sense with that. Yeah, I, I know where you're going with that. Um, football was just a just a part of it. It wasn't the end all be all for me. Um, I was really chosen to be doing something way greater. That was just to get me out of my circumstances, right? Because like I said, when I was chosen, it was saying, I'm going to be the one to change all this for my, my mother and my family. And right. I did that, but that was done. Mm-hmm. So now you evolve into another phase of life. And I would mm-hmm. say it's all you continue to evolve as a person throughout life. Football was just a part of it. Yeah. I, and I want to ask you one more thing because I, I love hearing stories like that because there's some parallels between your story and my story. Like, because I'm from Detroit and I kind of felt that like at a young age, even with my family, like, hey, you're if any of the kids are going to make it, you're going to kind of be the kid that makes it. Um, how have you navigated carrying some of that weight? Because you hear that often, right? Especially in sports, especially within our community. Like, I got to make a way out. I got to do this for my family. And people don't. It becomes a heavy burden to carry. So how have you navigated carrying the burden when you're feeling like, yes, I feel like I'm chosen for this. Yes, I feel like I'm going to change the circumstances, but I don't think people ever acknowledge 
that that is a burden to carry, especially as a young, even African American male. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was when when I got the messaging at five, I never thought about it again. So I never had the pressure to be a football player. My mom never she never pressured me in any of it. And and, and what's crazy is my mom had to work so much, she didn't get to determine what I do athletically, right? I was a way better baseball player. And I tell you, I was a way better baseball player than I was in football. But football provided me an outlet that baseball didn't. It was instant gratification, instant revenge, like instant everything. Right, baseball, right. I had to wait till my turn to bat again or whatever. You know, it was different. Um, but uh, I never felt pressure from my mom or anybody because I never shared that messaging with my mom. It was for me and, and me only. And I just, it never was a wait for me. I just loved what I was doing and wanted to take it to the highest I could. Mm -hmm. Well, so let me ask, you know, you don't seem like a guy who ever found his value in football and ever found like his identity in that, but more so of like, this is just something I do. I'm really good at. I know I'm good at it. So I'm going to take it as far as I can go. Where do you think today as a man and even along your journey, like what do you find your identity in? Like, who are you? Who is Bethel Johnson? Well, and that's what's crazy. What football does and what a lot of people do, because I tell people all the time, I met me at 36, right? Mm -hmm. 43 now, but I met me at 36. So after I retired from football, or rather was fired from football because nobody was calling me back, Mm -hmm. um, I went through this whole thing of, like, really trying to figure out what, what really can I do next? I'm highly skilled in this one particular particular thing mm-hmm. what can i do next and so i went through that for about seven years of really trying to figure out what it is that i want to do like what is it who am i things like that and so what i discovered in this process was that um you act out according to what you identify yourself with right mm-hmm. you're gonna act those things out if somebody call you a bad kid and you adopt that identifier you're gonna act that out right mm-hmm. um I was an athlete, you know, they called me a bad kid. I had all these things that I acted out because I adopted the, uh, the identifiers that people placed on me. Mm-hmm. And so when you when you bury yourself under all these identifiers, you're going to go through times where you got to try to figure out who you are. And it wasn't until I was like, it wasn't until I was 36 and I was looking in the mirror one day, man, the same messaging that I got when I was five, the same download, the same, you know, uh, voice was like, hey, who are you? I'm sitting there looking in the mirror, man. All right. And I'm looking in the mirror. I'm like, damn, I don't even know. Right. Yeah. So what was, it was gracious enough to say, Hey, listen, go back to the age where you remember before you was influenced by any adults. Hmm. Right. And that was five years old. Who was that kid? Who was he? Cause whoever that person is, is who you've always been, no matter what you were doing. Yeah, because that's who you are so core, right? I'm a naturally given person, right? Um, you know, I'm gonna tell you the truth, no matter what. <laughs> so I don't know if you picked yeah. that up, but, yeah, but that's yeah, why yeah. I'm at the no. core. Um, you know, uh, I'm compassionate. Um, you know, um, you know, I I am a person that um, really, right? I'm more to the beat of my own drum. It's kind of been my thing. Like I've never mm-hmm. really. I get uncomfortable following crowds. I get really uncomfortable 
doing that because that goes against who I am at the core. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you once you find out those things, you don't compromise mm-hmm. anymore. And so for me, once I figured out who I was at the core, I've been this person ever since. Okay. That's very enlightening. It's funny because I resonate with that because I had a similar experience where I feel like I really found myself, accepted myself at 35. And, uh, but for totally different reasons, you know what I'm saying? Like I, I just totally different reasons. I I don't want to go into that whole tailspin right now because it's not, this show is not about me, but to piggyback off what you just said. So you found you, who you are. So now this outlet though, that football provided is no longer there. So what do you fill that time? What do you, what did you like, even now, like, what do you spend your time doing? Like, how did you replace the outlet that football provided, practically yeah. speaking? Now that you know who you are, what you're about. Well, football is, uh, if people look at the sport of football, football is, a, honestly, is a, one of the most creative in any sport, right? It takes a lot of creativity to even be an athlete because mm. your brain waves have to be so coherent to, to make a move because you can't do anything without a thought first. So you know how coherent your brain has to be to do the stuff that we do? And once you understand those things about yourself, one thing I understood about athletes or football players, that we're a, we have the ability to process information way faster than a normal human being. Because right. we have to, right? Because everything is bang, bang, right? It's, it's milliseconds, and you have to decide right. and be correct when you make those uh, decisions. And so once I understood that, I said, where can I carry that into life so i found other creative outlets to do that right i'm in the world of finance now so it's like in finance you can never learn it all right Right. but what i do in finance you have to be strategic and creative and those are the things that get you know keep me going like i love strategizing and creating things so you know once i was able to take what i was doing in football and transfer transfer it in life I found what I wanted to do, which is finance, and I've been in it ever since. Okay, so that's what you've been doing since. What, like advising? Like what? What more specifically? I started off as an advisor, right? So I started off. So when I said when I met me at thirty six, mm. <laughs> at the time mm. I was coaching, and one of my business partners to this day, um, he was a coach with me, and I just turned to him, and I'm gonna tell you what started this for me: uh, the show Ballers, right? Yep. The first oh, yeah. First, yeah. Yeah, I said, I'm laying in the bed with my wife. I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. Whatever The Rock is doing, I want to do that. I don't care what it is. I want to do that because he had the same passion that I have as far as helping athletes, you know, uh, maintain their wealth, you know, show them a better way. And he was a former athlete, so a former professional football player. So that resonated with me. And when I found out he was in finance, I said, that's what I'm going to do. And Mm. I was standing on the football field coaching. During the season, with my, my with my team, with my uh, business partner, I said, "Bro, I'm done. So I'm done. Wow. I know what I want to do now." And he was like, "Bro, we got six more games." I said, "Bro, I'm not talking about quitting during the season, <laughs> but I'm done coaching. <laughs> I never, <laughs> and I never look back. I've been doing finance ever since." Did you know anything about the financial world? Like you see this thing on TV that kind of gives you the idea, kind of like when you were nine years old with football and it was like, hold up, like, what is this? How far can right. I go? 
Was it a similar process in the finance world or did you have like a background and some things to fall back on or were you starting from scratch? Because this could be really important for people listening to this episode. Man, I started from, from scratch. It just had the wow. desire to, to learn and want to be the best at it to serve the purpose in which I was getting it for, right? So mm -hmm. I didn't want to be just like everybody else because everybody else was taking advantage of athletes. I wanted to be someone who went through the soul. I, I went through what you're going through. I was drafted, right. high draft choice, you know, made a, a few million a year, you know, so for me, it's like, okay, how is it? So my question was, how is it that guys who made 10 times as much as I did, some of them 20 times as much as I did, they were filing bankruptcy. How is it that I, in retirement, surviving 08, right, surviving oh, that, and even 09, and I'm yep. still here, right? It's all because of the financial decision I made at the very beginning. Yeah. And I knew, being drafted at 24, that I was not going to play, you know, 10 years. I knew that this possibly mm -hmm. my only contract of this, of this, you know, magnitude, of this, you know, this level. I said, well, so I told my financial people then, I said, listen, I don't know much about your game. I said, but I do know this. Take this money and make it last me for the rest of my life. I don't want to go back to zero. And that's why I just mm -hmm. kind of formulated everything around. And so I wasn't understanding why guys were going broke during that time when they made right. way more money than I did. And I right. still was, you know, I left the game a multimillionaire. So it's like, yeah. even after, um, even after the, the, the 08, I still, you know, it was good, but I was trying yeah. to understand what guys were doing and I wanted to help them be, be able to live a comfortable life as I was living. Mm -hmm. So when did you really start, like you talked about the ability to process things, the ability to learn things fast, to be able to make decisions that are the right decisions, you know, sometimes under pressure type situation. When did you start throwing yourself into the nuts and bolts of that financially? Cause it sounds like at the beginning of your career it was like, look, I'm trusting y'all to make to, to to coach me along the way and making sure we make this last for the rest of my life. Whereas now you're the one on the other side of that for other younger athletes. What was your practical process and when did that really start? Was it all throughout your playing career? Was it when you had that moment at 36, you were like, I'm about to learn this inside and out so I can help others. Just kind of talk through what were some of those practical steps. And the reason I'm asking this, Bethel, is because I think there's a lot of people right now who have these dreams and they have these things in their mind that they want to go pursue. And it's like deep within them, but they don't go do it because they, they, they psych themselves out mm -hmm. with the stuff that they don't really know yet which a lot of times what you don't really know can be learned. It's the fire that's in you that cannot be just brought out of anywhere. So right. what were some of your practical steps in order to getting from professional athlete, non-professional athlete, I'm coaching, I have this aha moment that this is what I want to go do. I'm not an expert in this field, but yeah, I, if that's what there. it's going to take for me to be this, that's what I'm going to do. What were some of your steps for that? And then we can kind of start to wind it down. I know we're, we're, we're over an hour. All right, man. Listen, I got number time. <laughs> well, okay. all right, I'll just I have to pick my son up from uh, soccer camp at one. So, <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, but my process was simple. It's the same again. Like for like when I found football at nine, it was like I was equipped with everything I needed at that particular mm -hmm. time to to excel at the sport. So when it came to finance, I had really no background in it at all. I mean, none. Uh, I just wanted to learn as much as I could so I can mm -hmm. be the best at it. 
you know, for the purpose in which I'm getting in it. And so, right. um, you know, that was at 36, right? So from 36, I had zero, I had zero, I was at zero with the information. I just was like, okay, I'm going to find what I need for this. If I'm going to be successful at it, I need to find what I need. I need to get with the people I need to get with, do the things I need to do. Because people are like, man, the test is so hard. Study. Study. Right. I did. Right? right? I took every single test that you can, you can possibly take, you know, um, in this to get to where I was. It's like, uh, I, I took the Series 6, 63, 60, I took the 66, 65, Series 7, all these things. I took these things just so I can put myself in position to serve um, in the way that I wanted to. But it's imp- I wanted to understand, like, why is it that people now it, this I was in a unique situation because my financial people had more money than me. Mm-hmm. He was my guardian. He was my baseball mm-hmm. coach. He didn't know I was going to be anything. He just saw a kid that needed some guidance, a hurt kid that needed some guidance. And he's been around since I was 10. Right. He didn't know what I was going to be. I sucked at baseball at 10. I was good from 11 right. on. <laughs> so right, right. he had right. no idea what I was going to be. He just wanted to help. And he was my financial advisor and he was multi, he's a multi, 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 multi-millionaire. So I trusted that he knows more about it than I do. So what I didn't understand was why is it that people who make less than me have this special esoteric knowledge of something around finances that I don't, how do they have it? Why don't I have it? So I wanted to understand those language, the languages they were using, things like that. So that's what made me really dive heavy into it as you started to tap into what you needed to tap into in order to get what you needed like certain doors kind of started opening for you uh yeah same way with football again mm. when i decided at nine and said i'm going to the nfl everything started lining up for me to make those moves you know that became my governor in every decision i make right mm-hmm. so in this space it's the same thing right it's when i decided and and my heart was in it that's when everything, I just started walking through the right doors. Mind you, I met me at 36. So right. the doors that didn't align with who I was at the core, I never walked through. I only right. walked through the ones that was aligned with who That's I good. was at the core. That's good. It's like a, if, if you're listening right now or you're watching, which by the way, hit subscribe if you're watching, it's very powerful what's being said right now because it's, it's, it's understanding that it starts really with a self-belief but you're not truly ever gonna believe in yourself until you know who that self is. And then once you know who that person is, once you know who that person you're looking at in the mirror is, now there's a belief that comes into play that will allow you to take the risks because essentially that's what you took. You took a risk by saying, now you were good with money, so it may not have been a financial risk, but you took a risk with putting yourself out into a world that you knew nothing about Mm -hmm. and saying, this is what I want to be. And now here we are seven years later and you're living in that. And I just want listeners to understand because like, we're not just a sports podcast. Like if you have something that's in your gut right now that Mm -hmm. you're delaying, procrastinating, not pursuing because you're convincing yourself either that you don't know enough, you don't do enough or whatever it is. First, really get to the core of who you are, figure out who that person is, then you can start believing in that person. And then there's work to do. Don't get me wrong, like you're saying. Yeah. You want to pass a test? Okay, freaking study. Yeah, study like, right. you know, <laughs> learn what you need to learn. So, all right, I'm I'll be Holmes. If you have anything, I don't want to. I'm going to get no, y'all, 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 y'all. To what you were saying, I teach my kids the same type of mentality, right? I tell my son, 
who aspires to be a pro soccer player because he's definitely wasn't playing football. He play L football. He doesn't. He's not playing. Yeah, football. yeah, I got you. Right, so, right, right. Uh, I told him like when we like he trains with me. Now I got he's eleven, so I've been waiting his whole life for this. Uh, so he, he trains with me now. <laughs> And I said, son, I told him a long time ago, I said, man, there is zero, and I mean zero success in your comfort zone. Mm-hmm. Zero success. If I decided to be comfortable and not and be content in life, I wouldn't be where I am. So you yeah. got to stretch yourself and get uncomfortable so you can grow and develop mm-hmm. in different areas. Make yourself a whole person, not just this one-sided being yep. that you can only do this one thing, right? Yeah. You got to get uncomfortable in order to to experience new things. Like you just got to be uncomfortable sometimes. That's what yeah. success happens right. in that area. Yep. Mm. The thing I think, you know, I admire about your story, Bethel, it's like you never lost the roar, whether it's the injury, whether it's teams weren't calling you back, whether it's, oh man, I'm 36. I'm just kind of figuring out who I was. The thing I find so dope about your story that's consistent is the roar stayed. It was, I know I'm destined for greatness. I know what, you know, for me, it's I know what God put inside of me and I'm just going to go get it. Um, I don't know what it's going to look like all the time. I don't know how it's always going to work out all the time. But at the end of the day, I know I'm called to do something great. So I'm going to go do something great um, and nothing's going to stop me. So thank you for from a young guy to uh, to a seasoned veteran. A younger again. guy. <laughs> a younger guy. Yeah. Yeah. I was trying to figure out how it's going to spin that one, but I was already rolling. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, from a young guy to a younger guy, man, I just want to say thank you, man. I, I applaud you. I, I hope, man, we continue to get to keep doing stuff together, man, and partnering with yeah. you and what you're what you're doing in the world. And um, just want to, for me, man, thank you for giving us your time. I know time is the gift you can never give back. So thank you, man, for for investing that into our podcast. Absolutely, man, no yeah. problem at all. Because you know, again. Y'all were the first people to ask me about my New England Patriots stuff and whatever, whatever. Mm-hmm. Y'all, you know, y'all allowed me to tell my story. So, mm-hmm. um, because so, like I said, guys don't normally get to tell their story or their experience because the narrative is always with the organization. Right. right. So, I get to tell my story so people understand exactly well some of the things that were that I dealt with while I was there mm-hmm. and understand how it ended up, how it ended up. So, I mean, yeah. I appreciate y'all for even allowing that and asking the proper questions to get that. Well, and if there's anything you think of that you left out and want to come back, you know, just just holler at us. Doors um, always open. I, I hey, do want to anytime, man. <laughs> I do want to give you this opportunity. Do you have any shameless plugging? Anything you want to promote? Anything? Um, do you want people getting in contact with you? Do you not? Like, I just didn't know from a business standpoint, from or if there's a cause. Like, is there anything that you would like to just put out there that our platform can help you promote? Uh, no, I don't really have anything like that, you know, cause okay. again, there's, there's levels to finance mm-hmm. and the level that I'm in in finance, I don't, it's not for everybody. Yeah. It's not for everybody. Right. I don't <laughs> tell people, yeah. you know, I don't yep. solicit anything. I don't do any of those things. Like people who know, they know what the, you know, right. they know how to get in contact with me or somebody in our organization, um, awesome. for what we, what we provide. So it's not, absolutely hard to plug anything cause I'm, I'm, I don't need to do that. You're sweet, baby. You're good. <laughs> Are you on social media? Like, if people wanted to follow you, do you do anything with that? I do have a social media, but I keep it private because that's really okay. where my family stuff is. Mm-hmm. So I'm really I hold that part close to the chest. So I don't yep. I don't leave it open for everybody just to find me because yeah. no, there's some things 
that you don't have to share with the world. And the family part, I keep close. Absolutely. All right. If you're listening, remember, hit subscribe. Give us a rate and a review. Let us know. If you got any questions for Bethel, we'll get them to them. Just put them up. Put them in the comments. I'll be back. We'll see y'all next time. College. College football. I love March Madness.